a way and they were convinced they, they knew that there was a lot of spiritual warfare in their lives and they were delighted when they came and visited them at another church in another town. They were delighted to learn that they were living for the Lord and were actively involved in their local church. They had one complaint, however, of this couple. During the past year, they had attended the church and not one person, not even one of the spiritual leaders of the church had invited them over for a meal or attend fellowship. So our friends did not, he says, did not feel a part of the fellowship and were quite disheartened by this. He also shares another story of an elderly single woman who now attends his church, but he related a subject to, to illustrate the subject that I'm going to bring to you this morning. At one time in her life, she traveled an hour by bus every Sunday to attend a small suburban church. And each week after the Sunday morning service, she would eat alone at a restaurant and then spend the entire afternoon in a park or library so she could attend the evening service that they had. She did this for four years. And what left her with sour memories of this church was the fact that in four years, no one invited her home to eat a Sunday afternoon meal when she left. It wasn't until she announced she was leaving that an elderly woman in the church invited her home for a meal and she refused. You might often hear people, one pastor said, I often hear people say, oh, we just don't know anyone. We can't make any friends at church. I have a suggestion that might solve the problem. It comes from a couple who had a hard time feeling as if they belonged in the congregation. Instead of leaving, as so many people do, they decided to invite every person in the church to their home for dinner during the next year. By the end of the year, they knew everyone in the church and had made a number of close friendships. This morning I titled my sermon, ripping it off from a book that I have recently at least read in part, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, Hospitality. The gospel comes with a house key. I want you to hear from a woman who writes this book. I've referred to her before, Rosaria Butterfield, who she was saved. She was a a lesbian professor at Syracuse, um, an unbeliever. In fact, hated God, hated God as she believed that there was a God, and hated Christianity with a passion. She wrote an article because she was a leading professor writing a lot in the paper, and she received a lot of hate mail and then some fan mail, and she received some mail that she couldn't put in the fan mail or hate mail. It was from a pastor, a local pastor, asking some loving but pointed questions, and he ended up calling her and inviting her to his house with him and his wife, and she said yes because she was doing research on enemy territory. She showed up with great zeal, and over the next two years, she dealt with a deep relationship with that elderly pastor and his wife. She learned to read the Bible because she was a literary scholar. She learned the importance of reading it herself, and over a two-year period of time, her eyes were opened to the joy of the gospel, and she was rescued and saved. She moved on and married. Her husband is a pastor. They've adopted many children. And she writes on the power 
Christians only live for five minutes a day. Using the Christian psalm, if you're a Christian here and you have a home, it's a Christian home. Using your Christian home in a daily or a regular way that seeks to make kinder neighbors and neighbors honoring God. You see, it brings glory to God, serves others, and lives out the gospel in word and deed. And if you're prohibited, and many of you might be in this room today, from using your living space in this way, it counts if you support in some way some household in your church that is doing so. The purpose of radically, Pastor Paul says, radically building those kinds of homes is to build, focus, deepen, and strengthen the family of God, pointing others to the Bible, believing the ultimate church, and being earthly and spiritual good to everyone we know. When our Christian homes are open and we make transparent to a watch, we make transparent to a watching world what Christ is doing with our bodies, our families, and our world. When we gather daily or regularly with family of God in organic and open and communal ways and invite those who do not yet know Christ to enter, we accompany one another in suffering. We bear one another's burdens. We show a watching world what fervent prayer sounds like. Talking to God, knowing that we are, through the merits of Christ, become good friends with God. And that our daily needs are his concern. When our Christian homes are open, our church and our unsaving neighbor, unsaved neighbors watch us struggle with our own sins. Both the sins of our doing and the sin nature that which we wage daily between us. One last thing, and I'm not going to leave you much more focused than, than this, but he writes, we must work hard to know who our neighbors are and how they struggle. We want to show respect in a helpless manner. Christians often misunderstand this. Please listen to this. Often Christians ask me, how can I love my neighbor without just leading her into thinking I approve of everything she does? First, remember that Christians cannot be oblivious of everything that others do. No one. This is a false question. The better question is this. How can my neighbors know that because I live under God's authority rather than the compulsions of my own sinful desires? Put it simply, what faith do you have? The answer is simple. Love the sinner and hate your own sin. Or as Mark says, have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another. This morning for a few minutes, says these things, and you have them in your bulletin right inside there on the outline, we will purpose, and if you're a member of this church, you and I together, we're committed to, to living this out. We will purpose, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit, to walk together in Christian love, to seek the salvation of our families and neighbors, to be zealous in our efforts to advance the cause of Christ, our Savior, and to give Him preeminence or priority in all things to watch over one another in brotherly love to be one another's endurance 
remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling and courtesy and peace. Hospitality. Well, we have several passages of Scripture here. Uh, I want you to look at them with me. I'm going to read the three passages, but really based upon Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, 8, and 9, Peter wrote to the churches and he said, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2 says something quite remarkable. First part isn't, if you know the Bible, you know that God tells us to do this all the time, but it says, let brotherly love continue. Verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. How many of you think it was possible that you would entertain an angel. Hebrews says, don't neglect showing hospitality. And by the way, you might entertain an angel, but you didn't even realize his name. Now we get to our passage, Romans 12, 9 through 13. Let love be genuine. Literally, the, e, the New Living Translation, I, I like how it says it. Don't just pretend to love others really love them. Think that. Don't just pretend to love people, church. Love them. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection or with genuine affection. Outdo one another in showing honor or take delight in honoring each other. Do not be slothful in zeal. Or don't be lazy. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. I want to get to. I'm going to focus on the third point, but I, I cannot overemphasize the second point as foundational engine to everything else here. And it first starts with us. I want to just say this to you love your neighbors as our neighbors. Loving our neighbors as our neighbors. We are called to love our neighbors. That includes one another in this room, that includes the, your literal neighbor on your street or on your road. Secondly, showing God's glory and gospel is our motive. And practicing true hospitality is a vital need. It's not the only need, but it is a vital need in our day and age and in any age. Another way of saying it is you could say it in one phrase, and I'll say it to you as a church. I'll say it to myself. Let us love because we are loved by practicing hospitality. Did you hear that? Would you love because you're loved by practicing 
Christian hospitality. Let me start with the first one, love. Let's love. Love your neighbor is our first standard. The Old Testament says, you summed up the whole law, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The summary of the Ten Commandments, the summary of the law is to love your neighbor as yourself. All, the, all three of these passages I just shared with you, have you seen something that's very common? In fact, I've just given you the majority of the hospitality commands in the letters, of the epist- in the epistles of the New Testament, and they're always connected to brotherly love or loving one another. Jesus commanded us to not just, not only love our neighbor, but to love as he has loved us. Jesus called us to commit to love. And months ago, I, I said to you, we need to commit to love the people of this church in word and in deed. And love is a commitment to pursue the greatest possible good for your brother and sister. It is to be committed toward that end. And we always define the greatest possible good in Jesus Christ right at the center. There's no, nothing more important than the condition of souls of one another in this room. There's nothing more con- important than the condition of the souls of our children, where they're going to spend eternity, what's going on in their hearts, not just their outward behavior or not just their material possessions, but their, their souls, whether they have, where they're worshiping, whether they are worshiping God or creation or creatures. Love is giving, it's service, it's sacrificial. It is giving better or more than one feels like the person even deserves. In fact, deservedness is not what determines our character or love. Something else must drive it. You and I, we are Christians. We are called to love our neighbors. Here in this room, here in the rooms, if you take the directory, which I've asked you to do and start praying through the directory, they're your new neighbors. But your neighbors also include those on your street. That means for me, I'm called to love you. I'm covenantly bound to you as a member. I'm called to be connected to you. I have a responsibility to you as we commune. And I'm to love you, my neighbor. I'm to love you as Christ loved me. That is a task that I cannot do in my own strength. That's why we have grace even in our covenant. By the aid of the Holy Spirit, I seek to do this. But also, I am called to love literally the people on Green Bay up in James County, Michigan. What street are you on? What people have God has God brought you to? You see, God never gets your address wrong. He puts you there. He knows who's next to you, and he's designed them for you. I'm called and you're called to show family love, brotherly love. And it's love that's not merely a feeling. And a lot of times it turns into a feeling, but it's an action. By God's grace, the more we obey, the more we love, the more we show action of love and care and concern for others, God in his mercy puts a love and effect in your feeling. I just want to ask you this before I get to the second point. Do you love your family? Do you love your neighbor here at church? Do you love your neighbor in the street where you live? Or in the context that you work? Or your general neighborhood? 
soccer team comparable to this message that we hear and in this church included, though we could, there's a lot of demonstrations of love in this church. There's a lot of ways in which we get from 60 to 70. There's a lot of ways in which we get really busy and we just don't rest and pray for God to use mercy that help us to love one another. second point and this is just really important in fact I'm, i could i could give you all these tips on hospitality and i could tell you all the benefits of hospitality i could tell you how to radically change i want to say I, I really think that that it is an amazing practice and gift that god would so bless and prosper the work of the gospel of demonstrating christian love through hospitality i can say that in the third point but you got to get the second point
strangers, and he made strangers his people. We are undeserving sinners who have been rescued by God, and the good news redeems us and makes us all truly blessed people. What are you doing with your blessing? Do you have, do you have a house or a lodging, whether you rent it or you own it? Get to one of them, please. Jesus said something very powerful in the gospel. He said that if you become a Christian, if you, when, you, when you turn from yourself and you turn from other ways and you receive Christ and you take him, you may lose family. You might, you might in fact, it happened all the time in Jesus' time and after in the, in the early church. You, you would be rejected by your people. You would be rejected by your clan. You would be rejected by your family group. And they would disassociate because you're with this Jesus guy. And Jesus said that no one that ever loses all those things and follows me and doesn't turn back has this return. Are you the greater sinner? Are you providing that for anyone? Some of you in coming to Jesus might have had strained relationships with family. And surely what happened if you were in a certain country or a culture where to leave your family into a different religion or faith would be devastating in an even greater way. No, God intends the people of God to be a family first. Are you a family family? Jesus says, I ask this to all know that you're my disciples if you call me Lord. I simply want to ask you this again. Do you know why God has chosen us to be his? You and I, whether we are living at the, the below the poverty line in America and we have stress on finances, and I, I anticipate that many of us do in Houston, but still in the, his, in the history of this world and in the geography of this world, we still have far more possessions than so many. We have food. We have clothing. We have a place to sleep. If you're here this morning, you had a weight is with you. Why did God set you up so wealthy? Was it just for you? Did he bless you just so that you can just sit there on your treasure or blessing? Or just for you and your family? You and your family, you got it. I got to just tell my family. Surely God wants you to care for and take care of your family. Paul told Timothy and wrote to the church and said, if you don't do that, you're worse than a pagan. Let me ask you this. What, have you, what do you have now in your possession, your wealth, your relationships, your gifts and skills? What do you have that you haven't received by God? Was there anything that you obtained by yourself apart from God? We all know the answer to that is no. Do you know the love of Jesus? Have you been loved much? love much? God chose to give you mercy. And mercy will not stop following you all the way to your last place of unemployment. And why did he do that? Why, why did he choose a small tribe of people in the Middle East called Israel, first with Abraham and his family? Now God tells us in the word of God, God chose Israel. 
from evil, not because they were big or strong or mighty or noble. He chose them for his sake in order to show off his goodness and his glory and his power. And and that's what the prophet John wants to make known. He wants the nation to be blessed. And in the same way, he's chosen you. You're saved because he graciously chose you as an enemy and stranger, and he said, I'm going to make you my friend. He gave you the gospel. At some point, you believed and trusted in him, but it was his power and grace that made you eyes to see, ears to hear, and he brought you in to say, look at what I can do for anybody. Look how I save sinners. Look how I make them into family. Look how I'm, I'm going to use them as tools to love others. I'm going to use them as someone that's going to pour out my grace unto other people. But there are two people here that we need to do a special work as I'm about to talk, call you to hospitality. Would you care about enemies and friends? You may have enemies or feel like you have enemies or people that make you fearful or just nervous or uncomfortable. Maybe they're, I'm going to extend strangers. There are strangers in this room. And what I mean by that, I'm going to use this term broadly. There are people in this room that you're just not used to having in your house. In fact, that might be most of you. You're just not used to, I want you to think in terms of, I need to extend a type of welcoming love into my life to those that are are strangers. They're not intimate acquaintances. They're not close family. There are also others in this room, they might be in that category, that are lonely and without friends. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I don't want to list any names. I don't know all the names. But who are the brothers somebody that, you know, you just, you never see them talking with people. You don't know where they are. Do you care about these groups of people? And what should motivate us more than anything is this. I I would be absolutely destitute. I would be absolutely without anything good. I would have no home, no family, no anything apart from God loving me and giving that to me. And how can I just sit on my treasure? that love to others. What should move us is the glorious good news of Jesus Christ through you. If you're here in this room, I offer to you right now the best news possible in that Jesus Christ is a gracious Savior. And God sent His Son into to make lonely and strange people into family. He gave it as a free gift. He sent His Son Jesus to die the sins of everyone, including you, who will receive him. You will repent of your sins and turn to him, and he makes you a beloved son or daughter forever. So that you can serve him. We are once enemies, but now we get to serve him as friends. And do you know which one it is? Do you love this good news? Is this good news moving you? And do you treat others as though they've received as though you had received this wonderful treatment from God, and now you want to pour it back out to others. Leads
use the last point, chapter 3, Sweet Hot Pursuit, to fight in this. I'd ask you, I, I, I pray, and I pray that God would make this not just another sermon on, on, just, on a subject, and then it would just go through our ears and just leave us and, and just say, okay, yeah, I, I guess I don't do that, or I need to do that more, and just move on. I think that one of the greatest evangelistic and personal loves and minister to being the real people of God and demonstrating true Christian love and it being real and not fake, sincere love, is to practice hospitality. The word hospitality approximates the Greek word phylogenia, which means love of strangers. Hospitality is love of strangers. Hospitality is the art of receiving and ministering to strangers by showing biblical love to them. I understand the term uh, stranger to mean it broadly, like I've said here, those who are not your family or close friends who you don't normally have in your home. Could be people here in the church, people that drop by, and people that you see that God puts into your life. Biblical love calls us to this practice. It commands us to. It doesn't suggest it. It doesn't recommend it as a good evangelistic tool or a way to love one another. It says, I gave you a home, I gave you the gospel, and come to the house of my God. That's just a metaphorical way of saying I come to make you the person that you're truly meant to be. Welcome, welcome to faith. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ welcomed you to the glory of God. It begins within the household of faith, and it is to extend out to others in our sharing a gospel lifestyle. People in the church and outside of the church need to be introduced of our gospel hospitality. Biblical call, love calls us to this. And should you show hospitality based on this practice? I'm just going to give you six practical suggestions that I have, and then I'm going to pray for us. One, commit to hospitality on your tongue. First point is just this. Would you commit to hospitality while tonguing your tongue. Embrace, second, embrace simple but meaningful meals and time in your home. Three, plan for hospitality. Four, partner in hospitality. Five, be rooted for hospitality. And six, pray, preserve, and uh, persevere, I should say, in hospitality. Here, here are the six. One, would you commit to hospitality while tonguing your tongue? Will you decide today, this week, Maybe gather around as a couple or a family. Get together with your kids and say, okay, Jesus told us in the Bible that we're to, just, we're to practice hospitality without grumbling. And we're to, pre- we're to pre- pursue it. So, God, would you, so family, what are we going to do? How, what's this going to look like? Would you commit to doing that because God's called us to do it? It's going to look different in each person here. There's not one cookie-cutter way how you need to do it. And and each situation is unique, but usually, though, our hearts and our minds want to make excuses and find the loopholes how we do follow the principle here. And would you count the cost? It will cost you money if you are committed to hospitality, the money of, of having people over. It changes your grocery budget. And it may cost you time. It will cost you time. It will cost you energy. 
takes work, you know, costs you privacy and comfort, and you'd rather just have, like, lounging time, you'd rather just relax. But these costumes are dangerous. We need to be, I don't know how to really expand on this, but there's always danger and awareness. There's always just the, the risk that we take in loving God. I think our missionaries risk nothing.
churches together, if they love being together, then maybe they want to be in the community. Or an unmarried person or a widow or widower. Or, or just another family that just has never experienced joy of church. Joy of thanksgiving and thankfulness. Has ne- Labor Day is coming up. Do you think of it only for just you and your family? What about others that have never been invited to Easter? should you invite over? Well, make a list. Seek the needy, the lonely, people that are not natural for you to invite, who God puts in your path. Oh, if you start to pray about this and ask God to help you be hospitable, he will bring people in your life. And can I, can I just say this? If people ask you over, please
might start doing this and you'll feel like a zero out of nine. I'm hospitable. And, and frankly, they won't think you're a hero. And you might be disappointed that it wasn't that exciting. It might not have been revival took place in this house. People will turn you down. People will not be thankful. And God says, well, what is the gospel? The gospel is simple. Whether you're single, maybe you don't have a saved spouse, or your spouse is just not interested in any of this at all, again, please help us. Help us to see that this brother Jesus Christ needs this. And, and you give room for people to partner with you. I, I want to co- conclude with this. I, I said it is costly to be hospitable. It's costly to love. It's costly to give of that one thing you give. It's costly to pray. It's costly to serve one another. It is more costly not to do so. But it so, can so demonstrate where our hearts truly are you to ponder this as Jesus said something that's so sobering and so true. Is your love genuine? Is your love real? Is your love towards God real? Jesus said this, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, and he will sit on his glorious throne, before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, did you inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world? For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will answer him, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. not as much of a stranger, maybe they're doing better, but you, or from your faith, or from your work, or from school, or soccer, or from any other reason, would you do it to one of the least of these? Thank you, Father. I pray that you would graciously give us obedient hearts, that practicing hospitality, help us to be not lazy, the text says, but fervent in zeal, serving the Lord, in serving the Lord and the needs of one another and showing hospitality. God, I pray that you would help us. God, as we as we now come into your final song, I pray that this final song would be a declaration